The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Buglers, hello. Oh no, I've got I've got it the wrong way around. I've, oh. <laughs> I, I always feared this would happen. Oh, oh no. Well, who knows what effect that will have on the rest of the show. It's a bit of a word. Uh, am I Zoltzman and... Oh, no! Oh, no! <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to make a couple of adjustments and switch myself off and on again. Shutting down. Hello, Buglers! Oh, phew, we're back on track. Welcome to issue 4,254 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. It's the 21st of February 2023, and I am four-time Wimbledon champion Rod Laver. Joining me today have the former US Open champion Pancho Gonzalez, and from Spain, it's Manuel Santon. Oh, no, I've got that thing where I mistake her on for 1960s tennis players. Let, let, let's give it another go. Shutting down. Hello, Buglers. I'm Andy Zoltzman. I think we're good this time. Uh, welcome to uh, issue 4254 of the Bugle. I am in the shed in London. Joining me uh, this week from just up the road here in South London, it's Nish Kumar. Hello, Nish. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. I will be uh, maintaining the correct order of greetings. Good. That's uh, that's just as it should be. How are you, <laughs> Nish? I have drunk, I would say, slightly too much coffee. So, if people think I have a loud and annoying voice and I talk too quickly already, get ready. I'm f***ing jacked. So, I mean, when you say slightly too much, what are we what are we talking about here? Because well, we're, we're recording at midday UK time. So, I mean, what are we? What have you packed in, Addy? We're talking five double strength americanos, right? And that's, that's that's too many. Yeah. That's Even... too many. I, I've basically done a couple of lines of Chang. Basic, <laughs> basically. Basically, uh, it, I'm on cocaine. And, I, yes. and I'm concerned that my performance in this bugle is going to mirror the character arc of Henry Hill in the film Goodfellas. It's going to start exciting. It's going to get really exciting <laughs> in the middle. And then it's going to descend into a dark well of paranoia. <laughs> I, I'm going to end this bugle on the witness relocation programme. Where are you getting your coffee from? <laughs> also joining us and i've no idea how much caffeine is uh pumping through his bloodstream uh from mumbai india it's anuvab pal hello andy hello nish how are you yeah good thanks well what's your what's your caffeine stroke other uh, addictive substance intake it's, mu- it's so much later in the afternoon in the eve into the evening for anuvab so it's much more socially acceptable for him to have had the amount of caffeine i've had <laughs> Exactly. You know, so I'll, I'll tell you what I've been inhaling. Um, <laughs> it's very different from what Nish has been inhaling. I've been inhaling asphalt and concrete. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an early Oasis song, that as well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 1993, one of the early hits. Now, both, both of you well, basically, are... Basically, the chord sequence is very similar to a Beatles song. Anyway, let's not dwell on that for too long. <laughs> Look, both of you are observers of India, and I don't know if you've read about this, but basically India is undergoing the largest infrastructural development projects in history. So um, under Prime Minister Modi, they've decided that nothing before this existed in India. So they have to build every road, bridge and house imaginable <laughs> at the same time. So if you travel around India, and the last week I was in three different cities, India is one large construction site. Uh, the air quality index in Mumbai is today is 400, which is the same air quality index of any city after an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> 
just to do this podcast. I'm not making this up, gentlemen, and I'm not doing this for comedy. Just to do this podcast, I had to go out in the road and request three different digging companies to stop digging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are actually five around me. I requested three of them, and I'm not making this up. So I, I am well for tonight, and then I'm dead tomorrow. <laughs> this, that's the power of the bugle. We can interrupt infrastructure projects in India. That's the, <laughs> power of, that's the power of this podcast. Although I will say, uh, interrupting any infrastructure projects or doing anything uh, in India that might upset the BJP could result in the Bugle being investigated for <laughs> tax <Yes>. affairs. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yes. On this day in 1848, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels published the Communist Manifesto. Um, what a manifesto that was. The original version, of course, not the director's cut extended version that some prominent, uh, prominent communist leaders evidently managed to get hold of. The one with the extra bits about exterminating millions and millions of our own people and living in f***ing great palaces. Uh, also, today is uh, Pancake Day, uh, Shrove Tuesday, um, the famous Christian festival commemorating the famous day when a teenage Jesus turned some eggs, milk and flour into a surprisingly convincing picture of the moon in all his... Uh, <laughs> Early miracles. Uh, as always, a section of the view is going that, straight. As soon as you embarked on that, I was excited. <laughs> I, as soon as you embarked on that, I was excited. You know when you see, you feel someone's like it's. At the, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge watcher of Manchester United Football Club, and at the moment when Marcus Rashford runs down the inside left of the opposition's defence, there's a real sense of excitement of somebody making an attack in an area in which they have huge strength, and you <laughs> riffing. On the theological origins of Pancake Day, is that is Zaltzman? Oh. That is Zaltzman at his strongest. Yeah, I thought I could have taken it a bit longer. I mean, I just did a little kind of neat layoff, really, or the full powerful run into the box and slamming it into the top corner. I, I was really wondering, Nish, how Andy was going to bring history into a pancake. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is history in everything, which brings us on to our section in the bin, which is a make history history section. Um, we don't usually do this, but this is a paid-for promotional pull-out section by the International <laughs> Anti-History League. Uh, today, Tuesday, will quite literally be history by the time you listen to this, uh, uh, Buglers. Um, and uh, history, frankly, has had its chance, and it's proved that it brings nothing but anger, confusion and disappointments to this planet. Um, and ask yourselves these questions. Do you find history overwhelmingly long, whether you think there's been 30 billion, 13 billion years of it or just six short millennia, delete according to favourite book? Uh, do you find it uh, annoying that you can never truly and completely understand how we've got to where we've got to? Because, and I quote, too much shit has already happened for me to get my f***ing head around. Herodotus. 433 BC. <laughs> Do you find that history quite often tells you things that are really inconvenient and contradict what you like to tell yourself about the world you live in today? Well, it's quite possible that you, you work in politics. But why not then throw history in the bin uh, in this co-production uh, between the Bugle and the uh, uh, Anti-History League? Um, we are attempting to get rid of all history. It's mostly full of tragedy, suffering, failure, cruelty, exploitation, bastardry, shitheaditude and... Chris, you need to bleep the bleeps out here. <laughs> being absolute <laughs> Also, if you're one or more of white, male, well-off, religious, non-religious or uh, alive, the chances are that history does, could or should make you feel a bit guilty about shit that happened then and how it influences shit that's happening now. So, 
we are trying to get rid of history and to support the Make History History campaign for just £49 a month. You can help us remove all traces of history from initially the internet and then the entire world. And as a special promotion, uh, you can nominate uh, a single piece of history to remove instantly uh, from uh, the history books uh, right now. And if I know you're a big fan of history, what would yes. you t- what would you take out first of all uh, in our efforts to expunge all traces of uh, the known past and just make the world well, a happy place? If it's Indian history, uh, the current government have already removed the British and the Mughals. <laughs> So I'd have to go even further back. I think right. I'd have to, I'd have to remove the the early uh, sort of Turkish and Uzbek people that moved to India. So you know we have to go back. To, All right, they've gone. Um, Vasco da Gama, Anubhav's coming for you. <laughs> exactly. I'd have to go as far as back as him. Yeah. Um, but I, I, do you want an individual removed or a well, whole anything. kingdom? Anything. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I I'm not a huge fan of the Romans. Okay, uh, you're taking just, out the whole Roman Empire. Yeah, right, because okay. they've left too much behind, and I don't think they've given other people enough of a chance. Right. You know, like I, you know, like for example, we don't know much about the t- time around Jesus. We don't know, like, where are all the statues and stuff from Judea? You know, but the Romans—they've got a circus, they've got buildings. They could show you the place where Caesar was stabbed. It's too many things. I think there's. Uh, there's not an equitable distribution of historical ruins in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we should take away some from a lot of ruins and give it to people with no ruins. Oh, Adabab, I think that might be the motto of the British Museum. <laughs> 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 they, just, they just haven't quite got the balance right. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, for a long time, there was a debate going on in India as to what to do with the town of Sarangapatnam, which is where the famous battle happened where the British defeated Tipu Sultan and essentially conquered India. That was the big, big battle. And the f- there's massive field there. There's nothing there now. And the local member of parliament wanted to erect a massive statue of Bruce Lee. <laughs> because he was so fat. <laughs> Bruce Lee. So, again, out of context, history is something I'm a big fan of as well. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of that. Something, something quite complicated happened here. Well, everyone likes Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe we could just... Is there any way we could compromise on popular historical figures? Bruce Lee, Dolly Parton, (laughs) Denzel Washington. People that everyone likes. Right, we're making the world a better place. There's going to be so many statues of Beyonce in our years. Uh, I mean, what what single piece of history so we got rid of the roman empire which does mean for the rest of this podcast we cannot use any english words that have their origin in latin <laughs> i guess a lot of these i guess a lot of the news this week happened on verandas <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it might be quite a lot of uh, fairly germanic swearing i think um <laughs> uh, Nish, what bit of history would you like to uh, to take out uh, well, it depends. Are you talking about if I can erase the history, does that mean the events of what happened around that person never happened? Because if that's the case, and we're giving ourselves that amount of power, you've got to lose Big Addy H, as I call him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, if uh, all we're doing is just removing that person's name from history, I quickly rescind my Hitler claim because I'm pretty <laughs> sure quite a few conspiracy theorists on the internet... <laughs> I'm doing Such their absolute line, level it? best. Yeah, I'm doing line. their absolute level best. So I, I'll withhold my answer until I know the full parameters. <laughs> Great. Well, the Make History History uh, section 
also uh, given to you uh, in association with Brexit. <laughs> uh, that section in the bin. Top story this week. Well, this week uh, brings the one-year anniversary of uh, Vladdy Poodles, the Kremlin Gremlin, the Moscow Megadick, uh, getting his career-high strop on and uh, starting the Ukraine war, deciding to inflict untold chaos, bloodshed and misery on the people of Ukraine rather than just sort out his own uh, self-image issues. It's, um, it's, I mean, it remains hard to believe, does it not, a year on, that someone who'd invaded Ukraine and Georgia, and actively supported Bashar al-Assad in the Syrian war, with barely a twitch of uh, political condemnation or recrimination from the international community in return, would invade Ukraine uh, again. But he did. He did. A, a, a year ago this week. And uh, it's, I think, fair to say, it's not gone well for Putin. It's not gone well for humanity uh, in general. And this week, uh, Joe Biden, the American president, made a surprise trip to the Ukraine uh, to express his support for the uh, extraordinary resistance the Ukrainian people and military have shown. I think that sent a powerful message to Putin's Russia that uh, the US, NATO and the West in general are still one year on prepared to do anything for a decent photo opportunity. And <laughs> there cannot be a stronger message than that. What have, what, what have you made? Well, what have you made of the past year and uh, the uh, uh, Biden's trip this week? You know, I've just been obsessed with a petty detail. Um, yeah, there's something about Biden getting into Ukraine on a secret train. Yes, um, a ten-hour train. I just thought, yeah. I mean, I can't bring up 1939 because Nish has removed all that from history <laughs> <laughs> but, but, with mathematical precision. He's removed that. I thought in 2023 you could secretly get in and out of countries in other ways if you were the president of the United States. Well, uh, just you know, like being teleported. There, you think they must? Have <laughs> um, I mean, it, it it does make you think. I mean, it took a 10-hour train from Poland to Kiev and. Through the you know the the, the war torn nation of Ukraine, I mean, it's, it's pretty lucky he wasn't trying to get from London to Manchester. <laughs> so, um, as, but, as a British person, it was galling to hear that he was able to get a train into a country that's being actively bombed <laughs> without even the hint of a rail replacement bus service. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's we're coming up to a year since um, the, the the a marble that someone drew eyes and a mouth on uh, Vladimir Putin decided that the Botox had drifted into the common sense centre of his brain and he decided to have a war. And the thing is, Andy, you're right to observe that he'd already invaded the Ukraine before. And we tried everything. We tried everything as an international community to condemn him. We gave him an Olympics. We gave him a World Cup. If only we had moved Wimbledon to Moscow. Maybe, maybe that would have been... The thing that pushed him over and stopped him behaving like a total <laughs> But as it is, all we did was give him an Olympics and a World Cup and it didn't change his behaviour and the <laughs> carried on <laughs> Um uh, Putin hit back with his own State of the Union uh, address, uh, which has happened today as we record, in which, um, well, he surprisingly tearfully admitted that he got it all wrong. He just had a bad <laughs> morning a year ago, started a war, and then he couldn't see a way out of it, and he's really sorry, and he'll change. He will change. He'll make it up to people, and he just wants people to understand him and appreciate his poetry, and he had a doggy that died when he was a boy, and it left him with anger and abandonment issues, and we'll all see the funny side of it one day. Uh, my Russian is a bit rusty, uh, admittedly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, well, I mean, it remains uh, just a, 
an absolute scar on on the on the twenty first century. This whole this whole pro- any any shards of optimism for you? I mean, listen, the the, the international community has you know has actually it does seem to have slightly woken up to the threat of Vladimir Putin that he poses to citizens all over the world including in Russia uh, you know he's been summarily impris- imprisoning protesters and political opponents for years and years and years none of this kind of despotic action is new behavior but previously we had responded to it by giving him major sporting events as previously discussed and turning our financial system in London as a way for him and his cronies <laughs> to launder all of their wealth so in a sense the one positive from this is that maybe we particularly in London we will stop being the global laundromat for the dirtiest money in the world <laughs> oh, but also positive. and also I guess you know it, it might also, if, you're, if from the point of view of leaders of the Conservative Party, it might mean that they get slightly more varied tennis opponents because they mostly end up having to play against <laughs> Russian donors at tennis. And it would be just quite nice if they can branch that out because you worry, because you know, there's a sort of Russian style of tennis that maybe yeah. that, that, that's a bit restrictive. Yeah, it's not even just tennis meetings. Maybe former Prime Ministers of the Conservative Party will stop having secret meetings with high-level members of... <laughs> <laughs> the Russian government without their security detail present as one Boris Johnson did. <laughs> w- what did he do? Probably tried to get Yevgeny Lebedev pregnant. That's possibly what happened because that's what the guy does. The guy tries to get absolutely everybody pregnant. But um, the, I, I guess the other positive thing is uh, Biden is sending a pretty strong message out uh, back home um, because uh, he did, uh, he he did go there and said that uh, he talked a lot about the uh, war being not just about the freedom in Ukraine, but about freedom and uh, the freedom of democracy at large. And he congratulated the Ukrainian people for stepping up in a way that few people ever have in the past, whilst emphasising that there was a broad bipartisan support in Washington for the Ukrainian cause. And there is a broad bipartisan support for the Ukrainian cause, as long as you don't include a massive chunk of the Republican Party. It feels. <laughs> slightly like this trip was as much about sending a message to the Ukrainian people as it was about sending a message to the American government because the Republican Party large sections of it have voiced quite strident opposition to America sending uh, any kind of weaponry to uh, Ukrainians and this week uh, uh, Biden obviously made his visit and uh, on Twitter uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene who is the congresswoman who represents the congressional district uh, I believe that's known as the mid 15th century um, (laughs) Marjorie Taylor Greene is basically a couple of bits of firewood away from a full witch burning Uh, she (laughs) is she 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 absolutely would she would watch the crucible and go this all seems above board like she's that <laughs> she's got that sort of old-fashioned idea i think she might suggest suggest that it was the crucible suggested that america was already going woke uh, in the 1690s. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit well a bit easy she responded to um, Biden, uh, Biden's the official POTUS Twitter account, tweeting pictures of Biden and Zelensky uh, on his Ukrainian visit. Uh, she quote tweeted that and said this, impeach Biden or give us a national divorce. We don't pay taxes to fund. I mean, in the case of a lot of members of the Republican Party, she could have stopped that. We don't pay taxes. We don't pay taxes to fund foreign countries wars who aren't even in NATO, who aren't even NATO allies. 
I, I, I don't need to tell you this. The grammar is an absolute soup there. She somehow <laughs> managed to spell allies, A-L-L-Y apostrophe S. The average Ukrainian speaks considerably better English than Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, she said, we aren't sending our sons and daughters to die, to dies, D-I-E-S. Again, uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, the, uh, we aren't sending our sons and daughters to dies for foreign borders and foreign, in inverted commas, democracy. America is broke, criminal cutters and cartels reign, and you're a fool. The two things I take away from this are... Well, there's three things I take away from this. <laughs> One, it is incredible that members of the Republican Party have seen a kindred spirit in Vladimir Putin, a shiny-faced <laughs> homophobe. But... It is also credible uh, that uh, she used the phrase uh, national divorce because I believe America did attempt a national divorce. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that they did attempt a national divorce until the nation's marriage counsellor, a.k.a. A.B. Lincoln, decided to step in and try and stop the divorce from happening. And it is a pretty big claim to suggest that America needs to have a new civil war with a picture of the American flag as part of your Twitter name. <laughs> Surely, at least, she's got to change her photo to a picture of the Dukes of Hazard car with the Confederate flag on it. And <laughs> the other thing that it makes me think is no one hates Americans more than members of the Republican Party. Man, they hate America. <laughs> they cannot stand it. Now, this is the same woman that decided to shout in the middle of the State of the Union address, right? Yes. Uh, I guess that never happened in America while the president was delivering the state of the... They didn't have a live heckler. I I think this is the first time. And I know that our parliament has been quite brilliant in many ways because we've had snacks thrown at each other. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've In the 90s, we had all-out brawls. We had sacks of cash being being sort of thrown to show that there's corruption. But um, there were Indian members of parliament who congratulated Marjorie Taylor Greene because finally... She said the world's biggest democracy has met the world's oldest democracy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and both parliamentary behaviors seem similar because uh, we identify with that, you know, that you should be able to shout with no sense of decorum in the middle of the State <laughs> of the Union address. I'm pretty sure someone once heckled Big Barry O. I think someone shouted, you lie at him during the State of the Union. But anyway, it is. Uh, it, th- these are history-making moments, and it is incredible. <laughs> it is an incredible coincidence that the Republican Party make history by shouting at a black person and a president who was that black person's friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has uh, uh, also warned that China. Uh, is well already providing assistance, non-lethal support, as he said, which is also a tagline for the new range of Bugle-branded non-exploding underwear, available from our <laughs> website now. Uh, sorry, already sold out. Um, uh, he said there's now concerns that China could be about to offer Roscoe... M- Roscoe? <laughs> Moscow or Russia uh, an upgraded package involving things that also go go bang. And uh, Blinken said if China provides Russia with weapons, that would cause, quotes, a serious problem for us and in our relationship. And I guess that's true of any relationship, isn't it? Always puts strain on on a relationship when you do start supplying lethal weapons to a blood-crazed despot. I know, you know, it's certainly put the the biggest strain I've had in in, in my marriage, which has been largely happy over uh, over 18 years now, was uh, was when I, I sent... 
um, a, a box of chainsaws to Colonel Gaddafi, and it, it put, <laughs> put real strain on things. I'm yeah. fascinated by the use of the phrase non-lethal support. Technically, football fans are providing non-lethal support to their teams every time they cheer for them. Uh, as In terms of non-lethal support, I guess you'd say sports fans cheering on a team. Lethal support would be the example of uh, me supporting Andy Saltzman uh, at the Andover Lights uh, when I uh, was uh, Andy's support act. And what I did to that room was lethal. <laughs> Now, listen, I just have a quick question about yeah. world wars. I've been thinking oh, about well, world wars a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the last nice one we had in the 1930s, you know, apparently they had a bunch of months of something called a phony war. So just like what's going on now, I guess they started a war and then over winter they did nothing. And then they started another war in the summer. And a lot of people are saying that this sort of thing might be what Putin is doing now. The trouble is... I don't think you can keep the Instagram generation hanging around that long. <laughs> I, I think if you're going to do a world war for the Instagram generation, you can't do like nine months of nothing and then a Chinese balloon and five months of nothing. You know, I mean, I don't think this is a James Cameron film. People are not going to wait 15 years for the next installment. <laughs> I think it has to be a quicker thing. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I mean maybe, you know, I mean, I'm in my 40s. I could wait a while for the world war to play out but i mean my 23 year old cousin who's on tiktok all day i don't think she can <laughs> <laughs> right so i'm in a surprise call from the bugle to accelerate the process of global armageddon uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least make it interesting in the winter months that's all. Uh, while we're on the subject of uh, James Cameron movies, um, the uh, Republican senator and total asshole Lindsey Graham uh, weighed in on the uh, subject of if China was to help deliver weapons uh, to Russian forces in Ukraine. Uh, he said that it would be a catastrophic thing uh, to happen to the relationship between uh, the US and China. And he drew this analogy. It would be like buying a ticket on the Titanic after you saw the movie. Now, that makes absolutely full <laughs> sense. But uh, more concerningly, what company is selling tickets to the Titanic after the movie has been released? <laughs> is White Star did White Star Liners do a promo cruise tie-in to the release of the film? Well, actually, I mean, also, uh, you know, it, 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 that that actually would be quite a sound investment because. Yeah, you know, the market for Titanic memorabilia is quite buoyant. You know, people are still fascinated by it. If you uh, could unlike get, the boat. If, well, exactly. <laughs> if you could get, if you could could find a ticket to the original Titanic, <laughs> that actually might be an economically sound thing to invest your nation's money in. It's probably better than going on an actual cruise. <laughs> But of course, uh, it's not just China and Russia that poses a threat to the United States. Some very concerning news reached us this week uh, via the Internet, which is that America's greatest threat now is coming from a Canadian pig. Um, this, And not just any pig, but a super pig. Uh, the Canadians, it seems, from skim reading and quite possibly misinterpreting the article, have been covertly breeding a hybrid crossbreed of a domestic pig and a wild boar 
if you will, a kind of porkmanteau, uh, <laughs> resulting in a new oinkster that could threaten American democracy almost as much as some of America's own presidents and TV channels. <laughs> this, I mean, this is a huge concern, isn't it? That, that, that these pigs could infiltrate America, uh, join the ranks of wild pigs in America, which there are apparently over six million. This Canadian super pig, apparently... Um, can build snow caves to survive harsh winters. And if you give them enough time and a bit of funding, they could probably break, break into bank vaults, uh, work undercover uh, as an actuary, and probably play tennis to a high level. Uh, these animals are described as being like a cross between Albert Einstein and a 1980s French rugby player. Not in those terms. They're described as incredibly intelligent and highly elusive. Um, and, I mean, wh wh where now for America? It's under all these threats, and now there's this potential invasion of feral, ice hockey-obsessed Canadian <laughs> hybrid pigs. What What is America going to do about this? I have to say, the first thing I thought when I saw this headline was, wow, <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe is really plumbing some obscure <laughs> back catalogue comic characters. Now that they've reached Super Pig, I think we're in real trouble here. I also am fascinated by the use of the phrase elusive to describe a pig. Because <laughs> if there's one phrase I do not associate with pigs, it's elusive. I, there's definitely very few occasions I've gone, whoa, that pig got away from me. <laughs> My God. It's like James Bond starring Babe. It's unbelievable. <laughs> But they are they are doing quite a lot of damage. The wild or feral pigs cause about one point five billion dollars worth of damage every single year, and the the pigs are also uh, the pigs are also creating competition for food in the wild because they're accomplished predators. Again. These are not words that I associate <laughs> with pigs. Unless Babe 3 is going to be a very, very dark and brutal horror movie. It is a huge worry. Uh, for, and just to put that sum of money in context, $1.5 billion a year of damage caused by wild pigs in America already. That is over 1% of a Brexit, uh, which is estimated <laughs> to be damaging the British economy by £100 billion a year and that's and that's, so, so wild pigs are, I mean that's quite a good chunk of a Brexit that shows quite what <laughs> these pigs are doing, I, mean, I guess the, da the difference is the damage done by wild pigs in their feral natural state has slightly more of a discernible purpose than Brexit but, but still <laughs> 1.5 billion is that's, that's a lot of gratuitous carnage. I watch a lot of films okay I make no apologies for that here's what I know from disaster cinema and action movies if you've got a wild like genetically engineered wild animal on the loose what do you have to do you have to release a second genetically engineered wild animal this is we are simply in the opening act of godzilla versus kong and what Brilliant. i suggest we now do is try and get a lion to f a dog and make a mega dog that's the, <laughs> that, that's the only way out of this situation if the only way you're going to catch a super pig is with a mega dog mega dog <laughs> uh, Indian news now and well this is a story that w we hinted at uh, earlier on um, uh, tax officials have raided the BBC offices in Delhi and Mumbai um, uh, it's been viewed as potential revenge for a documentary uh, that the BBC aired that was uh, critical of uh, Narendra Modi uh, and of Abhyora 
Overlord and Master. Um, just to e- explain what what's happened, why, and whether um, the BBC is indeed, as has been alleged on Indian media, funded by China, and if so, does that mean that they will start paying me more for my cricket stats? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, is the answer. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> That's the one word answer. Now, look, I, I really don't know what this Guardian article is going on about. There's a headline in, in various British newspapers. There's a headline, uh, there's an opinion column in The Guardian this week from a gentleman called Keenan Malik who says, India enjoyed a free and vibrant media, and now Narendra Modi's brazen attacks are a catastrophe. Um, so the BBC did two documentaries on Prime Minister Modi, who apparently in the year 2002 uh, was responsible for some small bits of genocide. Um, <laughs> the Supreme, again, the Supreme Court let him go, so I, I don't know what the people are talking about. So he was freed. Uh, but there were, there were some human rights reports and rubbish like that saying he was guilty. Uh, not a large number of people, only 2,500 people died. Um, and again, it was widespread violence, various communities died. It just happened to be 99% Muslim, but it was widespread. All communities were involved. <laughs> just statistically, just happened to be, by completely by mistake, one particular religion. So, uh, you know, he's been blamed for all of these things. And the BBC decided to do a, do a documentary to see where India is now, um, after these attacks, etc., and uh, they said that apparently Prime Minister Modi was in some way responsible and that, you know, uh, he should take account and the BJP is somehow fascist. Uh, now, I've seen no evidence of this, right? Uh, this is a free and fair country. Uh, everyone listening to this, I want you to know this, including the people who've tapped my internet. I want <laughs> you to know. And whatever version of this recording is going to the Home Ministry, I want everyone to know (laughs) that I live in a free and fair democracy. And I see no connection, zero connection. And, and, you know, both you and Nisha, political observers of of Britain and India, you would know this. I see no connection between a tax rate on the BBC three days after the documentary came out. (laughs) None. Tax rates happen in India all the time. Somehow, statistically, they happen two or three days after you criticize the government. But <laughs> that could just be how the income tax department operates. I mean, you know, how do we know, how do we know the inner workings of the income tax department? You don't. So, you know, it's a range of possibilities. So, again, you know, I am I'm fully supportive of what the income tax department does. I'm just about to file my returns. So, you know, they're a wonderful, wonderful organization. They just, they just timing happened to be unfortunate it just happened to be just literally two days after that and you know there are things you have to do in an income tax rate which is fairly common like keeping about 50 journalists sort of imprisoned overnight over three days <laughs> and taking away their telephones you these are things you just have to do in i mean you guys have faced it i'm sure with the hmrc you know you've <laughs> gone in there They've taken away your telephone. You can't go out. And, you know, you, I mean, it's just standard, you know, yeah, because just, you file the wrong expenses. Yeah, it's just basic all accountancy, really, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't really know what the BBC is complaining about. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just an unfortunate timing issue. And, uh, you know, there's there's really I have no no complaints on Prime Minister Modi. He's doing a fantastic job. Um <laughs> And, you know, I mean, I suppose if we did this podcast at a different time where the two people posted outside my door had left, <laughs> <you> know, <then laughs> 
then perhaps we could have a different discussion. But currently, um, I, I really don't know what the fracker is all about. Um, the, uh, the, the Indian government apparently described the documentary niche as colonial propaganda and hostile garbage, which I think was also words said about my act and your act at the Andover Lights <laughs> on their way out. Um, <laughs> Maybe there were Indian government people reviewing that show, gentlemen. This is there everywhere. There is so much hypocrisy uh, at work here. This Elon Musk, uh, the sort of the dog shit Tony Stark, had said that he was an absolutist when it came to free speech. However, when faced with the prospect of Narendra Modi and the BJP, uh, Musk caved completely, and Twitter has removed clips of this uh, from its we- uh, from its website um it's very 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 sinister um the uh, also the hypocrisy doesn't end just at Elon Musk a spokesman for the BJP which is Narendra Modi's political party took the opportunity to describe the BBC as the most corrupt organization in the world now an indian <laughs> politician accusing somebody of corruption is not so much the pot calling the kettle black as it is the pot bribing a string of people to refer to the kettle as black and join in calling it black as often as humanly possible look i I mean you know i just slightly to disagree with mish he's absolutely right that there was a loss of electricity at Jawaharlal Nehru University where they tried to screen this documentary but you know there are power cuts often in delhi and and sometimes they happen to be targeted in a specific room at a university and this power everywhere else but you just just that room happens to lose electricity for a couple of hours it's perfectly normal and then again again good point Nish you know who is more objective uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation which is an independent body covering news all over the world or an Indian politician <laughs> who's a spokesperson of the government now who is more objective now, obviously the Indian politician and just one last point I want to make about this lots of authors and writers have been saying you know we don't have freedom of speech in India comedians are saying we don't have you know the government is very strict etc that's not completely true at all um, Arundhati Roy, the famous novelist who won the Booker Prize, wrote a scathing piece on Prime Minister Modi, came out in The Guardian last week, and she's happy, you know, you know, everyone's happy that she wrote it, and she has complete freedom to write this. She's sitting in Norway and writing it, but that's a different <laughs> thing, you know, we... You know, that's just, just, just where she happens to be, and that's fine, you know. Uh, Salman Rushdie, noted novelist, has been uh, saying... You know, ter- you know, terrible things are going on in India about the BJP right after he came out of his attack. And, you know, again, he's he's saying that, you know, very much within within, uh, you know, I mean, right now he happens to be in New York and he hasn't come to India for the last four years. But cause they, <laughs> didn't, they didn't give him a visa. But again, he's free to say this. There's complete freedom, gentlemen. So I, I don't I don't know what the issue is here. <laughs> Moving on to some uh, UK news since we last broadcast to you. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland and uh, head of the Scottish National Party, has unexpectedly resigned, uh, essentially due to the fact that uh, British politics has become so toxic that if you washed it with water from a British beach, it would end up cleaner uh, than it had started. You can't really put it in any greater context than that. Um, She resigned whilst... Uh, she is still well ahead in the in the opinion polls, and the SNP, although its popularity has been declining, is still 
uh, ahead, which does suggest that she has not read the British Manual of Political Resignations, in which you are supposed to leave in total and abject chaos. You're supposed to insist you are right all along, and you're supposed to be so unpopular with the voting public that even your own pencil screams and runs out of the room when it sees you. But she's left, as I said, ahead in the polls and admitting regret at some of her decisions and um, uh, and mistakes. So it, it's a very unusual sort of resignation for a British politician uh, to make. No, and it, I tell you what, it's this absolute, and I hate it, Jacinda Ardern's influence. People resigning with dignity and giving speeches where they emphasise their humanity has no place in politics. <laughs> You should be frog-marched out of there by your own MPs or you need to resign being weighed down by so many scandals that you're actually physically incapable of standing up. (laughs) Um, And also, I mean, we we talked about this on last week's News Quiz, which you could hear at Buglers if you want to hear it uh, on BBC Sounds. And this was uh, uh, part of that team um, that uh, she has outlived in terms of her term of office uh, for prime ministers um so she's on on the fifth uh, now and she came to power in 2014 the only possible explanation is that in 2014 she went into an antique shop she bought a magic lamp uh, she rubbed it and she was granted three wishes by a genie she asked firstly for an infinite supply of red suits secondly for an invisible triceratops to accompany her wherever she goes obviously she got those two and thirdly to stay as first minister of scotland while there were five different prime ministers in westminster now on the basis of how many prime ministers there had been up to 2014 she should have been in power until about the year 2040 uh, <laughs> rather than 2023 as has been. She also called on politicians. This this kind of concept, this kind of how toxic and confrontational politics has become. She's called on politicians to reach across the divide. But the problem is, we're in the 2020s, and when politicians reach across the divide, it's generally so that they can extend a middle finger <laughs> to whoever is on the other side <laughs> of that divide. I'm always interested in you know these wonderful sort of leaders who, you know, like Jacinda Ardern, I think her farewell speech, she said she didn't have enough left in the tank. Um, And Nicola Sturgeon, her speech said, I've spent a lot of time on Nicola Sturgeon, the politician. I'm now interested in the person. Um, I I just, there aren't enough men politicians with graceful speeches. (laughs) But first of all, they don't seem to leave. And when they leave, it's always, you know, I'm sorry, those were not my pants. You know, it's all kind of stuff like that. (laughs) Douglas Ross, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, that's the Conservatives, the Conservative Party in Scotland, accused Sturgeon of presiding over a decade of division and decay. Uh, Now, that's a Conservative accusing another politician of presiding over division and decay. Now, of course, it's quite possible that he meant this as a rare compliment, from a conservative politician to an opponent, but it's also equally possible that it that was that distant sound you can hear is uh, the concept of irony just disappearing <laughs> down the plug hole uh, of politics. He accused Sturgeon also of governing in her party's interests rather than the country's, and said that said that she'd left the nation in a state of paralysis due to the toxic legacy of a referendum. That is a conservative <laughs> making those allegations. Irony, you will be much missed, but you are now dead. Um, In other arts news, um, well, this is an astonishing story. Uh, A a German ballet 
company director has been fired after, and I wish I was making this up, um, smearing dog shit in <laughs> the face of a critic who had criticised his productions. Now, obviously that's not just a response to criticism, that is uh, assault. Um, yeah. Ideally, he should have collected the dogalogue, put it in a biodegradable plastic bag, and then made his point uh, forcefully, uh, perhaps in the medium of uh, a bit of dance, to say <laughs> that he disagreed with the critic. But he smeared dog shit in the critic's face and refused to apologise, and he's now been fired. But, I mean, this is... Nish, I mean, I know it, you, like me, have uh, not always been on the receiving end of unalloyed critical praise. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been tempted to respond uh, with some sort of uh, physical uh, <laughs> counter-attack? I mean, listen, I think all of us would be lying if we said that at no point have we ever contemplated smearing dog shit in a critic's face. <laughs> I, I think every one of us, I think everyone who has ever received a negative review would be absolutely telling lies to themselves and everyone around them if they said they hadn't thought to themselves, find me the nearest dog's anus, I have a mission. (laughs) But here's the thing. Crucially, you give it five seconds and you go, oh, that would be wholly inappropriate. (laughs) I don't know what has happened to this person that he mislaid those crucial five seconds of dog shit contemplation. (laughs) I I don't know what has happened to this person's life that he didn't go, oh my God, it's a bad review. It would be an extreme overreaction <laughs> to even confront this person in real life. Well, I don't know, gentlemen. I mean, this I feel like it's done quite a lot for ballet audiences. This might get <laughs> people back to watching ballet again, you know? Um, I think I think some physical violence is necessary when audiences are dwindling. You know, I think, um, I mean, I'd just like to bring up uh, the playwright Henry Gibson in this instance. Uh, when he wrote Doll's House, the famous play, um, the, the, his critics hated it so much that a group of people followed him around for a whole week trying to throw stones at him. Um, <laughs> even as he was trying to drop his son to school. Now, that group of people that hated the play so much dwindled but never went away. So even on the seventh day, there were still five or six people trying to throw stones at him. (laughs) That's how much they hated the play. And I think it's done a lot for Doll's House, the play. It's still produced. (laughs) I I think, um, Chris, I mean, I I think although, you know, instead of actual shit, um, it's much better if, you know... some sort of language can can replace actual feces. Like, I'll give you an example. <laughs> uh, the very first play I wrote, I, I worked in the theatre for many years, the very first play I wrote, uh, the name of the play was Fatwa, and it was about two failed novelists. And the reviewer, uh, writing in Time Out, uh, did a very good job. And his last line of his review was, this Fatwa needs no death sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that, that, that that's such a good line. I could meet him somewhere and find a dog and throw feces at him, but I need to think of a line cleverer than that. (laughs) I would say, and buglers are aware of my professional history, if I (laughs) were to smear dog shit in the faces of everyone who has written negative things about me in the British press, I would basically be filling a dog bowl with dog food and an inordinate amount of weapons-grade hot sauce at the moment. It, it would it would be a real drag on my week to week schedule. 
if every time someone wrote something negative about me in the press, I smeared dog shit on their face. Maybe this, maybe this guy's just enjoyed too many years of, uh, you know, unadulterated praise. You, you, yeah. he, I would say to him, I wish I'd been able to talk to him before he he, he crouched behind the dog saying, "Listen, <laughs> if you don't realise as you're crouching behind a shitting dog." ready to pick up its faecal matter to smear on the face of someone who wrote something slightly negative. If in the crouch you don't realise you things have gone very badly for you, then I don't think I can help you. Even as I was provide, trying to provide a solution, I thought, no, because as you're standing next to the dog's asshole, thinking, right, come on, give me the good stuff. If you don't realise that what you're doing is stupid, then you are beyond help. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, Bugle. We have to wrap this up quickly because uh, it's Tuesday afternoon and I have to go and humiliate Nish on the football. Well, <laughs> Nish and I have to go and play football um, together down in Crystal Palace. Um, anything to plug before we go? Um, no, I just want to quickly say I'll be reviewing the game, so I look forward to <laughs> some dog shit through my mailbox <laughs> later in the week. <laughs> Um, uh, if you live in the UK, uh, episodes of Hold the Front Page are still available uh, on Sky, uh, On Demand, or Now TV. Uh, I say episodes, the entire thing's available. <laughs> um, so you can watch that if you want, or not if you don't. Thank you for listening, Bugles. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.